everyone. It is Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake Formula One podcast. Well, no race coming up this weekend, but round three coming up at Portugal at Portimao on May 2nd. This is our news and notes podcast as we head into the weekend. We got three things on the agenda for today. One, we're going to take a look at the Botas Russell crash from Sunday and the fallout in the aftermath of it. Tempers were flaring on Sunday and rightfully so with drivers in the middle of something like that. But in the aftermath, as both Toto Wolf and George Russell and Valtteri Botas all processed what happened on that front straight at Imola, we'll discuss some of those details. We'll also take a look at the news that Formula One is heading to Miami for the Miami Grand Prix for 2022. When will the race be held? Where will it be held in terms of South Florida? Why is it important for Formula One to be there? Some of the details into the deal. And also, does it mean something for Austin? as Texas is coming on to the close of their 10-year deal with Formula One. We've got the details coming up later on in this podcast. And also for fun, we'll do top five and bottom five after the two rounds, taking a look at where the drivers stand after two races on to the season. But before we begin, hope you subscribe to the channel. Leave us a good review if you like what we do as we continue throughout the uh, 2021 Formula One season. All right, so let's get to the Botas-Russell crash from Imola on Sunday. Tempers were flaring. Russell getting out of his car after the crash, yelling at Valtteri Botas, are you trying to kill us? Right? It initially looked like Russell was trying to see if Botas was okay, but that's not exactly what was going on. Russell was furious. He was going for points. He was running 10th at the time, trying to get that ninth position, heading into the Tamborello chicane. Um, and... Afterwards, he made some accusations that Botas would not have done what he did, which was move slightly over to the right as Russell was passing him, if it wasn't him, if it wasn't Russell and his machine, because Russell is in line to take over that seat in the Mercedes. Now, Total Wolf called this BS and was furious at Russell and talked to him about this. Wolf also reiterated that the crash was going to be very, very costly to Mercedes in a cost cap environment, and that will also limit some upgrades. Plus, and this is kind of important for Wolf's standpoint, it, put, it, it didn't allow Botas to score any points for the team in that race. So Russell is a Mercedes junior driver. Many of us know that he's been there since been that way since 2017. And in this situation, this move really hurt him in Wolf's eyes. Russell is a young driver. He's trying to go for points. He's trying to get his first career points at Williams. I mean, he's running 10th at the time. He's trying to get the ninth spot. He sees a gap. He sees an opportunity to take it. Now, remember, Russell's got career points for Mercedes last year when he filled in for Hamilton, but he doesn't have any so far at Williams and almost had points at Imola last year. So Russell's going for a move. Now, there, there's wet grass to his right, and he's getting squeezed onto the wet part of the track, and that's what inevitably caused the crash. I mean, Botas is coming up a little bit. He kind of leans into the right a touch, but there's that pit There's that pit road coming out of the pits on that straight that, that Russell is on, and Russell just dips that right front tire into the grass, and that's what caused the accident. And Wolf wants Russell to see a bigger picture here, which is the car in front of him is a Mercedes and Russell should be taking caution in that there's a Mercedes in front of him. But should Russell consider that during a race? I mean, if Russell sees a gap and he's got DRS and he's flying, he wants to make a move. And he, again, he's trying to get career points for Williams. Should he even consider who's in front of him? I mean, should he even go to the thought process of what is in front of him? Like who is in front of him? Now, Ross Braun defends Russell saying the track is narrow. There's not a lot of overtaking options. So you might as well take it there if you can take it there, right? The front straight going into the Tamborello chicane. 
Now, afterwards, everything calms down a little bit. Cooler heads prevail. The conspiracy theories start to die down a little bit. And Russell apologizes for his actions. Hamilton social media offers him encouragement. Hamilton seems to be doing this, by the way, which is really nice to see. Did it with Lando Norris over the weekend as well. Russell is a future megastar. There's no doubt about it. And if he does land that Mercedes ride, everyone knows that. If he lands it, he's going to be a megastar. And one thing I've learned in sports, in covering sports and the stick and ball, baseball, basketball, if you're a rising megastar, these one errors of judgment in the, in the act of competition never ruins your trajectory. Now, off the court, off the field, off the racetrack incidents, of course, right? Anything that involves the law, anything that involves you getting into some legal trouble, that could derail your potential stardom. But if you make an error on a basketball court or if you make an error in on a football field or a racetrack, you can recover from them if you're a young star in the making. And Russell is a young star in the making. And this is one of those mistakes that as we move along through the season, nobody got seriously hurt. Nobody tragically lost their life. It's a racing incident. It's going to pass. Everyone's going to move on from this. This is not going to derail Russell's Mercedes ride. But one of the overriding things, too, that, that I brought up in the review of the Imola race was Botas shouldn't even been there in the first place. Let's be honest here. He's being overtaken by a Williams for crying out loud. It was a horrible race and a horrible weekend for Valtteri. He was late getting slick tires, which was one of the reasons he was there in the first place. But you shouldn't be getting passed by a Williams if you're driving a Mercedes. Now, Botas was staying on the dry part of the track, and this is where his supporters are checking in, saying that he did nothing wrong, that there is a dampness to the track on his left. He is moving as the track on the drier part, and that's why he kind of dips his right tire a little bit. But there's room. There's room for Russell to get through that. He's just got, if he's going to take it, he's going to figure out a way to get through that on the track that's available to him, and instead he kind of pulls the wheel over to the right, thinking Valtteri is going to come to the right, and then he hits the grass, and the rest is history. But he didn't move dramatically. He didn't jerk the wheel violently to make a defense. Russell was just squeezed too tight. And again, with the DRS open, it's tremendously high speed, and that's your judgment. But in the end, that's the, that's the crash analysis. Now, it's easy to sort of break it down in slow motion, frame by frame, et cetera. I get that. And at high speed, 330 kilometers per hour, it's a little bit more difficult. But in the end, tempers got the best of Russell. Frustration called him to make claims that were not helpful helpful to his image. He did apologize for this. He is young. He is extremely talented. He will move on from this. And again, I do expect him to be in the Mercedes ride. I don't think anybody thought Toto Wolff was not going to consider George Russell in the future over this. It is absolutely problematic for Mercedes right now, but it won't be when the time comes to make a decision on that second ride for Mercedes. All right, one other announcement coming out of Imola was that Formula One is going to be heading to Miami for 2022, running the Miami Grand Prix, agreeing on a 10-year deal. They will run on a circuit that loops around the Hard Rock Stadium. That's where the Miami Dolphins play. They have 19 corners, three long straights. The Circuit looks extremely fast, 3.36 miles. Uh, The race will take place, according to uh, Formula One, in the second quarter of the season, and it's going to keep a distance from Austin in October. If there is an Austin in October, we'll talk about that coming up. This is the second race for the United States on the 
theoretical schedule for 2022. Now, this is not going well with locals in South Florida. They had proposed a circuit that would go around Biscayne Bay and Bayfront Park. Now, that would have looked really nice. If you want to talk about aesthetics and showcasing South Florida and showcasing your location, that would have been a really nice track, right? And locals oppose that, and they oppose this one as, as well at Miami Gardens. Let's be honest. If you look at the track, it's mostly a parking lot race around a football stadium. It's, mo you know, the Denver Grand Prix. I covered that around Pepsi Center in 2002. Sort of similar. You just have this big plot of land. You run a track through it. Yes, it goes on one of the streets, but nevertheless, it's mostly going around a parking lot. Um, this race was a long time coming, though. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross had a lot to do with this. There is a local incentive package for residents and businesses in that area. Now, Stefano Domenicali, the CEO of Formula One, said that the race is part of a key growth strategy for the United States. It's a market that they've been trying to infiltrate. They have had 11 Formula One locations since 1950 in the U.S., um, however, Austin is now an issue because 2021 this year, it's the final year of their 10 year agreement with formula one. Now let's get into that a little bit. We'll get back to the Miami grand prix for a second, but let's, let's dive into this for a little bit because one of the main reasons that formula one went to Austin is that they get payments from the city. But part of the reason formula one gets payments at about $25 million a year is that Austin is an exclusive U S race for the series. All right, so now Formula One is putting a second race in on the calendar. And Austin is going to have to renegotiate their deal, right? Because they're not going to have the exclusivity on the Formula One calendar. So as long as two races remain, they're going to have to renegotiate with Formula One. Circuits of America track pays about $25 million a year, as I mentioned earlier. So you're going to start seeing some lobbyists working to continue the relationship using taxpayer dollars to keep Formula One in Austin. In 2019, the last time they raced at Coda, a 10, uh, 100,000 people were there. Um, they're hosting a NASCAR race at that track this season. Indy cars could be coming there. So there's a future for races at Coda. They would love Formula One to sort of complete the track calendar and sort of complete the variety of different races that go there. But if they're going to do that, Right. And they're going to continue to use taxpayer funds in Austin to keep Formula One to go there. They're going to have to renegotiate their deal because exclusivity is now off the table with the second race proposed for the United States. Now, the Miami Grand Prix, again, it's not it, look, look from the initial look at the circuit. It's tremendously fast. It looks tremendously fast. Three really long straights. But the the Formula One United States relationship is, is really tricky. Because you're talking about a global sport that doesn't have a strong foothold here in the U.S. I know. I live in Tennessee. I'm an American broadcaster who loves Formula One. Uh, it's not very, it's not easy. I mean, I could talk NASCAR with most of my friends. I could talk a little bit of IndyCar with most of my friends. Formula One is still a distant sport for a lot of the people I discuss sports with. I'm trying to help change that. Drive to Survive is trying to change that. We are seeing an uptick. There are plenty of United States fans, but Domenicali and Formula One are seeing the U.S. as a potential growth spot, but people have been talking about Formula One in the United States being a potential growth spot for years and years and years. But when they come, it, it, you know, outside of the long relationship they had at Watkins Glen, a lot of the disastrous races in Formula One history have been part of the United States relationship. 
I mean, you don't have to go that far. The U.S. Grand Prix at Indianapolis with the tire fiasco there and how much how that angered so many people, not only around the world, but in the United States and in Indianapolis. You've got the, the car park race in Las Vegas that didn't go over very well. Got Nigel Mansell pa- passing out in Dallas because of the heat. So again, I understand it. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a very lucrative market for Formula One and it's, it's fertile, right? You've got, again, the Netflix documentary, it helps a lot. There's a lot of young people who watched that and started going, you know, I think I could get into this. It really opened a lot of eyes to U.S. fans, potential U.S. fans. So I get it. Right. I get why you'd want to come here twice, but it only works if you have two races, if you can get two races in the United States, if for some reason it doesn't work out in Austin, well, you're just back to where you started from, which is a race in the United States, get two on the calendar and maybe you'll start seeing some, some real serious growth within the country. All right, now it's time to get to top five, bottom five. We've had two rounds of the world championship at Bahrain and Imola. So let's get to the bottom five, because this is always the funner one rather than doing the top five. So we're going to go from 16 to 20 and give you the drivers that are on the bottom of the list. All right, number 16 is George Russell. He was in the points. He was running really well at Imola, was running 10th until his crash with Botas. And points are coming for Russell. They are going to come this season. It was one of my preseason predictions that George Russell will land points in a Williams machine at some point this season. And it did look good, but this race in particular had a terrible look. As we discussed earlier, Russell came out looking bad coming out of a race car, especially there. I mean, think about where the Tamarillo chicane is. Look about where it's located. Think about the history of that area of Imola, Ayrton Senna and the Memorial that is right around that fence to where they crashed. And Russell is slapping the helmet of a fellow driver after both were involved in a horrific accident. And then the conspiracy theory certainly didn't help. Total Wolf's published admonishment absolutely didn't help. And that's why he's 16th on this list. But don't make a mistake here. Russell is going to get some points for Williams. 17th, Mick Schumacher. 16th at Bahrain, had a spin out early in the race at Imola, right in front of the uh, the, the pit lane. Uh, he did finish 16th there too. Mick Schumacher of Haas is 17th on our bottom five. 18th, Sebastian Vettel. Now, I'm being too harsh on Seb here, okay? There were brake issues before the race at Imola. He was penalized because he didn't have everything ready five minutes before the race. He made a very good point that the communication of that penalty should have been earlier in the race, and I agree with him. He later retired from the race. But if you combine this with what happened at Bahrain, it's a bad two races for Seb. I mean, it was a bad weekend at Bahrain, had a grid penalty on a yellow flag during qualifying. He later ran into Esteban Ocon, suffered a penalty there. At one point, he had the car in the top 10, but that was... He didn't get any points at either race. This has been not a good start for Sebastian Vettel at Aston Martin. Some not his fault. Some it is his fault, but that's why he's 18th on our list in our bottom five. Number 19, Nicholas Latifi. His day at Imola, one lap. That's it. Spun at Aquamilorale, returned to the track, touched up with Nikita Mazepin, was done for the day. Uh, He also had a retirement at Bahrain. Look, 
I'm not saying that this is disappointment or anything for Nicholas Latifi. He drives for Williams, for crying out loud. But that's why he's 19th. 20th, my man, Nikita Mazepin. One lap done at Bahrain. Wasn't in his fault uh, for the Latifi hit at Imola, but he finished 17th. And, oh, by the way, he spun there too. So Nikita Mazepin, 20th, the bottom 20th of our ra- driver rankings. All right, now it's time for the top five. All right, let's get into this with number five, and that's Carlos Sainz. Two top 10 finishes this season. He had a fifth at Imola. That was a big help for the Scuderia. Two top five finishes at a home race. Fantastic. Carlos Sainz. Now, he did spin out and he did go off the racetrack, but, you know, it, you know, to finish in the top five and get two top tens to start off with, could it be a little better? Sure, but right now he's in the top five. Number four, Charles Leclerc, the number one driver at Ferrari, had a sixth at Bahrain and a fourth at Imola so far this season. He had a podium run. Remember, he was running second until he was passed by Lando Norris, and then Hamilton came charging through the field. You're not going to hold off a Mercedes, and you're especially not going to hold off Lewis Hamilton, so he gets fourth in that race. Scuderia off to a good start. Now, this is a little tricky because I know that the Tifosi won a big, big run for Ferrari, and right now you got to take what you can get. It's certainly better than 2020, but 2020 was supposed to be sort of an outlier for them. Uh, They're supposed to be better. Still not as strong on the straight line speed. Good in the corners, but straight line speed still needs work for the Scuderia. Number three, Lando Norris. How could you not love Lando? A podium in Imola, a fourth at Bahrain, and remember qualifying? He had a P3 uh, start until track limits pulled that qualifying lap away. I loved afterwards when they said, hey, the fans voted you driver of the day, and he's like, I didn't even know I had fans. Yeah, very humble, Lando. But he is third on our list. All right, now we get interesting. Two on the list, Lewis Hamilton. A win, an incredible comeback, a mistake at Imola, led him to the gravel, but backed that bad boy up, got back onto that racetrack, and then here comes a red flag of all things to help Hamilton. And I know some of you out there know what I'm talking about. It always seems to occur when Hamilton needs one. But nevertheless, when he got back onto the racetrack and was able to charge through the field, he did exactly that, running and getting a P2 finish. You know, you combine that with Bahrain, where he was holding off Max Verstappen lap after lap after lap, and actually really in a battle, a real race, and those two really showed off their talent and showed off their skills. We've seen that from Hamilton over the years, no doubt, absolutely. But it's been easy for Lewis for a lot of races in the last couple of years, and the, and the one in Bahrain was an excitement, and I think it was one that he craved. He's two, he's the points leader, got the fastest lap at Imola. He, is, he, he did leave with that one point ahead of Verstappen, but I put him at two because I think what Max Verstappen has done has been a dream start for not only him, but for, Red, for the Red Bulls' top team. A pole at Bahrain, he had a P2 finish. Now remember, he did overtake Hamilton. It exceeded track limits, I get it, but he had a very strong car. He even felt like he could pull away from Hamilton if he was allowed to and just instead of taking, letting Hamilton get the the spot back if he had just pulled away. You know, he thought it would be just a five-second penalty, which he thought he could overcome with the distance. Now, he couldn't make up the ground once he gave the, the, the lead back to Hamilton, but that was a strong ride for Max Verstappen. And he got a great jump starting in second gear, took the lead right off the bat into the first breaking point at Imola. He got the lead from P3. And there was a little buzz about being out-qualified by his teammate Sergio Perez to start the race. But Hamilton, once he got the lead, and then remember, once he did, he got out to a three-second lead. And that lead extended to five. I mean, once the once the safety car was done after the Latifi crash and they, they cleaned that up, he got it back up to five. 
right? Until there was the, the exchange of pit stops. And Verstappen just had a brilliant day. The only mistake he made was on the restart lap. That was it. We spun out, got back onto the racetrack. That was the only mistake on a day that's wet, slippery, a place that doesn't have a lot of overtake. He found the one spot he could overtake Hamilton. That rest was history. Max Verstappen is our top driver. All right, coming up next week, we'll have a preview of Portugal as we go to Portimao, as we did in 2020. And we'll have a preview of that. Plus, a couple of days after the race, I'll be traveling that weekend. A couple of days after the race, we will be uh, dropping our review of the Portugal race round three of the Formula One season. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Once again, subscribe to our channel. We would love to hear from you again on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can also email the show at the Overtake f1 podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you then too all right we'll see you later on next week for our preview of portugal this is the overtake f1 podcast